Today, I've entitled this kind of point blank, What God Says About Marriage. That may seem a little arrogant because if you've been walking with the Lord very long, you know that really uh, some people call their interpretation of the the scriptures what God says and it's not, right? So it's the correct interpretation of the scriptures that's really what God says. But what I, what I want the, the reason I wanted to be that bold is to at least bring it around to this. I want you to know it's not really, you know, what's right about marriage isn't really, you know, my opinion versus yours and meeting in the middle. The path that God has planned out for family isn't really about what people think as much as it is about, if we're going to get to what's right, what does the scripture say? So when I, when I am as confident as to say, what does God say about marriage or what God says about marriage? I want you to know that we're going to look directly at the scriptures, and we're going to ask God to show us through his word, and you get to judge whether that's true or not, but I want to come with some confidence to say I believe in the word of God. I believe that it's true and it works, so we share it. Dustin Hoffman, you've heard of this actor, right, quite famous, his New Year's resolution this year was not to be as afraid of my wife as I was last year. There's got to be a higher uh, goal yeah, than, than that in marriage. God had something in mind that was much, much better than just, uh, you know, overcoming your fear of your spouse. He had in mind this fantastic union, this companionship that would be amazingly mutually fulfilling. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Father, I ask that you'd come by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we're, we're just living in so many different places. We, we all have struggles and we all have challenges in relationship in our family, but we, we all have this belief, Lord. We're here today because we believe in you. Lord, even those who are seeking you are hoping that you'll, you'll help them today. And you're here to help. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each individual uniquely with truth that will set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. First thought I have is this. Marriage between a man and a woman is emphasized as a good thing in the Bible. Let's talk about the man and the woman thing. <clears throat> there is no marriage in the Bible between same sex. As a matter of fact, homosexuality, as, long as, as well as all sins outside of marriage between a man and a woman, are called sin. And God encourages all those who are coming to him to repent of their sin and, 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 and that he would come into our hearts and help us to live towards him. So, so, you know, we live in a culture that's just about to, and they have, they're making same-sex union uh, legal. Well, you say, how do you feel about that, Pastor? Well, I'm not going to worry about it, and I'll tell you why. Abortion's legal, right? And it's, it's sin, too. At least our country doesn't make us get abortions. I don't, like, I don't like the law, because I think it goes against the law of God. But we need to recognize there's a difference between man's law and God's truth, right? So what I'm going to speak about is God's truth, and man's laws might not even match that. But, 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 you know, we've lived in environments like that in America for a long time, and it's going to get worse. So what I'm committed to is just speaking of the Word of God, the truth of God, with love, and let the chips fall where they may, but I want the saints to be protected, because to me it's about eternal life. It's about making sure we're in Jesus Christ, and that's where this deep conviction comes from. But, it's, but you'll not find two, you know, people of the same sex married anywhere in the Bible. The Bible forbids it. Uh, you, you'll, you'll not find it affirmed in any way, homosexuality. Another thing that I want to point out that's in this sentence, a marriage between a man and a woman emphasizes a good thing, is our culture is putting marriage down these days. 
in America. It's acting like, well, you want to you, you wanna just live with someone first, you know, to see if you, if, if you like that relationship and that, you know, it's not a committed relationship, right? You're not standing up saying, I totally love him and, she, and, and she's not saying, or he's not saying, I totally love her. If you're just living together, you're not saying we're committed in this relationship, we'll be there forever for one another. And when you go in without those anchors, then the relationships don't go well because you're not committed and you're not completely committed. In marriage, God wants you to be completely committed to one another. But what I want you to know is all of society will eventually show that God's laws are true. His truth will come around. Did you know it's a proven fact through statistics that people who live together and then get married are more likely to divorce? And so when, when, we, when, when we think of these things, we have to think of them in the context of what God says, and his boundaries are not to stop us from having a good time. His boundaries are, are to create the good space where a good time is, where the best life, where the most enjoyable life, where the least danger is. And, and, and so God gives us boundaries, but he says marriage is a good thing. Did you see that David Wise, uh, an Olympian, won the gold medal last week uh, in one of the half-pipe skiing events? And uh, I thought it was quite interesting that they said, man, you're really unusual. In the interview that NBC did, uh, you, you really live an unusual life. And other uh, uh, writers referred to it as David Weiss, who lives an alternative lifestyle. Well, he's a Christian who's married, who has a child. And now that's the alternative lifestyle in America, right? So, so we're just living in different days, right? But what I want you to do as a believer, you don't even have to listen to me. You find it in the word for yourself. Don't take what men say. Don't take what the president says just because of his authority. That authority is, may not be a spiritual authority. Don't take it from your neighbor or, or your boss just because you like them. Get it from the word of God, the truth, the balance of the truth that sets us free. And he says marriage is great. Sitcoms presented as if, uh, you know, they never work out and they're never good. But God says it can work out and be awesome if you follow my truth because it's what I created to be a blessing for man and woman. Proverbs 18.22 says, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. So there he's saying that it's good. He's saying uh, in Genesis as well, after all of the creation, Adam finally saw Eve and fulfillment came to his heart. He said, at last, there was that attraction that was there. This one is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. So there's man and wife again, husband and wife, right? That's emphasized in the Bible. And the two are united as one. So there's this unity. There's this goodness that God encourages in marriage with, with man and woman coming together in this, in this commitment. Second thought today about marriages, the emphasis for marriage is giving love. I think that most of what we hear today in America is about receiving love. Really, I mean, it's, it's you know, all the songs, all, all the movies are like, you fulfill my needs and, and then, you know, I'll be happy. I don't think that's the key to happiness. I, I see in the Bible that God says, I want you to think of your spouse before yourself. We're gonna read about that. I want you to honor them. I want you to hold them in higher value than your own self. And that's not what I see in America's philosophy. And here's what the Bible says in Colossians 2.8. Be careful lest the vain philosophies of this world pull you away from the basic principles of Christ. And, and, and so um, 
God says that the emphasis really is giving. Look, here it is in Ephesians 5, and I'm hitting two really controversial subjects today in our, in our culture. I address one already and about to address another that is a point of contention. But I want you to know that I made this commitment when I became a preacher not to skip the hard parts uh, and, and to believe that the whole counsel of God is what would bring blessing to people's lives. So I, I, I don't necessarily try to preach what is popular because what's popular isn't necessarily what's right and what's right isn't necessarily what's popular so I try to share the truth and let the chips fall where they may God is God and he wrote this book not me I'm just trying to to get everybody to value what he says Ephesians 5 21 about marriage and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ for wives this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord for a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church He's the savior of his body and the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. Verse 25, now speaking to husbands, for husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave his life for her. In the same way, husbands ought to, live their, ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies, for the man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Now what I see in that passage is giving. There's, and look, you're not supposed to read that for your husband. <laughs> you're not supposed to read his part and interpret it to him. You're not supposed to re- read it for your wife and interpret her part. We read it, we look at what it says for us as individuals, and then we try to live it out. So let's talk about husbands for a moment. Love is Jesus. What did Jesus do? He died for the church. He gave his life. He covered. He blessed. He served. Jesus never once forced or dictated to anyone what they should do as, uh, when, as far as it came to serving him. Not once did he make someone. So if there's any style of leadership that comes from a man, and I believe, as the Bible says, that a man should lead in his home, but if it's any style that's dictating or forceful, the base of it is not love in Jesus Christ. It's serving. It's giving your life. And if a woman can find a man who will serve her and give his life for her and make her that important, she can follow that guy almost all the time. Now let's look at the wife's side. You you know, this is the part that's kind of controversial to people. Submission. First of all, that Greek word means voluntarily giving up. So you you, you couldn't make someone submit it's, it's an oxymoron, like pretty ugly. You know, that's an oxymoron. So make someone submit. Submit means willing. You can't make. So I'll tell you why I'm a leader in my home. Because Karen said I could be. <laughs> it's willing. It, it has to come from her. I, it, it's impossible. I can't have it unless she gives it to me. And so in that sense, there's some control there, right? In a way. But on the other hand, she may feel a little vulnerable with that at times. But this is what the Word of God says. And so we look at it. Let's, let's find uh, the, the, the balance of this because it's, it's, it's not the man is always right. I like what um, comedian Rita Rudner said. She said, when I eventually met Mr. Wright, I had no idea his first name was always That's not what we're talking about when we talk about leadership, right? Uh, we're, we're talking about a, a love um, and, and, a, and a mutual respect. Look at the balance of this. The Bible says to submit to one another as well. Now, here, here's the uniqueness of this. Karen is my wife, 
And she's my sister in Jesus Christ as well. So I, I'm in a relationship with Karen where I'm supposed to submit to Karen if she, no one loves me more and no one knows my faults more than Karen and I have them. And so that atmosphere of love and, and trust still yet propels me to be the kind of leader that God would have me to be. But I know, here's the deal. Honest to goodness, I think Karen is smarter and more spiritual than I am. And yet I'm called to lead. Well, you may think you're smarter and more spiritual than your husband, and you may be. But listen, think, think of this place here called Horizon. We have 100 employees between the church, day, daycare, and school, learning center and schools. And, uh, and, and here I am, called by God to lead. Well, in, in the church, leadership is serving, right? It's bringing forth all the gifts of the people and making a beautiful expression out of it for Christ. But uh, here's what I think. As far as the spiritual authority that God's given me in this church, and, and there is some, I'm not trying to be cocky, but there, there are guys and girls smarter than me on our staff, ladies, they're smarter than me. I mean, I, I mean, there are people with doctorates in the school system. There are people on our staff that I think are more spiritual than me. They're just godly. I mean, they're just amazing people, the people around here. But here's the deal, I'm called to lead. So I don't shirk my responsibility uh, and they don't stop me just because uh, you, you know, I'm not uh, as good as they are in some areas. When, when there's a calling and an election of leadership, you have to step into it, yet you only have it when people decide, I wanna follow this person. So we gotta be the kind of leader that people will follow, but we submit to one another. So, so you know, we make decisions around here. I, I get some cards recently. One says, you know, I wish the lights were up more. I wanna see people. And, and then I get another card from an unbelieving person who says, thank you for keeping the lights down a bit. It makes me more comfortable when I come to church. So what am I supposed to do? I have to make a decision. But when we make a decision, we bring these hearts and minds to bear and we make good decisions. I've never made an important decision in our marriage without Karen being involved. When you have that kind of wisdom that this woman has and that kind of spirituality, and I, she's not perfect, I'm making her sound, and, and I, I sure love her and she's amazing, but I don't want you to say, well, you know, I wish you were like Karen, because, you know, she's, you know, to your wife, uh, and I'm not perfect. Uh, we have struggles at times, and, and, and we have difficulty just like you do, but we love each other, and we're trying to work through it and follow what this says, and everything gets better when we do, right? It's just better when we do. We have to be reminded and come back around. We have to apologize, and, but, but it's all a process of moving closer to him and getting this. But we make decisions together because, because what kind of leader doesn't bring all their resources into account for important decisions, right? So we move together, and, and rarely, I mean, if we have points of differences, and we have before, in key junctures in life, we fast and pray. Because we feel like the Lord can help us get on the right page on those important decisions, and he always has helped us to do that. But, but not only does the Bible say submit to one another, so, so guys, we have to listen as a brother in Christ and, and our wives can, can, can call us to accountability in areas too and that's fair and good for our own improvement. And there's another thing our culture does. I'm, it's, it's not good. It's, and it's, it's affecting marriages. Our culture today, we have people uh, growing up and becoming adults that are saying, well, you know, if you wanna be in a relationship with me, you have to accept me the way I am with all my flaws because this is who I am. Try that with your two-year-old, you know. Don't change their, don't, don't get them to change, let them bite and kick and scream and see how that goes for them in life, right? You, you, can't, be, you can't be an adult and a full-blown baby. You have to grow up too. 
You can't say to people, you just accept my flaws. How about this? How about you grow up? How about you learn to love them in a better way? How about you come to a place where you realize, I'm not perfect, I want to improve so I can be a blessing to these people around me that I love so much. And God will call a wife to help a husband improve. Now you gotta be careful with the nitpicking criticism thing and the negativity, because that can get out of hand. But husbands, they help us improve. That's part of it, is improvement. There's this mutual submission so we can learn and and grow and become as, as they help us and vice versa. But another part of it is the Bible says that the woman is the equal partner. So let's not get carried away with this whole submission thing, all right? Uh, this dictating forceful attitude. It says in 1 Peter 3, 7, says this, in the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she's your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Equal partner. So, so they're, they're, the woman is not less. And, and, you know, things run together for me. Forgive me if I repeat something. We're in three services now. I'm a little confused about what I said. But, <clears throat> but, but when, it, when it comes to these things, we, we need to know that, that, that God has, has spoken and let us know that there's equal partnership here. So, so there's, there's no dictatorship that should ever, ever be happening because that's not how Jesus was. The woman's never to be belittled. She's not to be thought less of. And let me say that, this is what I was gonna say about uh, a woman and, and authority with men. The home, God has created this governance for a purpose because there should be a leader somewhere. I mean, if you, you know, try having two leaders at work who are going different directions and you're supposed to listen, but how's it go? You just get confused. Governance, you gotta have a leader, and, and this is what God has asked for. However, a woman submitting to her husband in marriage, that willing submission, is not the same as a woman being submitted to all men. You submit in your home, but you don't have to submit to all men, because that's not your man, right? So you can be the president of the United States and still have a godly relationship in your home. You can have authority over men that is great, and yet God has called for this in the home. Someone that I think of is Joyce, Joyce Meyer, who's a very strong, forceful, kind of prophetic speaking um, lady who I think is godly. And, and um, she, she has a, a husband that's very soft-spoken and, and, uh, and, and very sweet. And yet this strong woman, I mean, the first time I heard, heard Joyce Meyer, I kind of, you know, like, oh, who? What is that about? You know, she's intense, man. But then the more you listen to her, you see her humility. You, 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 you see that, you know, she wants to, to, to lift up Jesus more than anything. And, but, but what happens is she will speak, this strong woman will speak of being submitted to her husband. This is something she gave him. And she finds a peace that comes to her heart. And she found that life got a lot better when she started, stopped trying to be in charge of everything there and listened to him because he's helped guide her in such a way that's protected her and blessed her in this amazing uh, life that God has given her. And yet, you know, all that said, all I've said here, and yet God says that the man is the, the head of the household, or exactly worded in Ephesians 5.23 in the NIV, the head of the wife. It's hard to escape. You can try to push that away if you want, but God has just said it. He just did. You don't have to do it, but it probably won't go that well if you don't. Now, let me tell you what can happen to your husband if you do. 
If you willingly choose to give him to this, and it has to come from your heart, he could be an amazing leader that you haven't seen yet. 1 Peter 3, 6, Sarah, it says, obeyed her husband Abraham. This is the New Testament too. And called him her master. That seems strong, doesn't it? Well, that, that word in the, in the Greek can be interpreted Lord. It can be interpreted sir. Or it can be interpreted master. But here's the point. The point was, Sarah said, you are the authority and I'm going to respect and honor you as such. Wow, and how did God feel about that? Well, it goes on to say, you are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. The fear is that our husbands, your husbands will do the wrong thing. They'll take over. Their stupidity will start to pervade the whole family. It'll fall apart and, and the wisdom you have will not be brought to bear. It's possible. But let me tell you about another possibility. One of the things that alarms me in our culture is, is how young men are no longer stepping into leadership. Our culture has emphasized, uh, you know, the strength of woman, and believe me, I, I think woman is amazing. I think women have incredible gifts. I believe in equal opportunity. I believe in equal pay. I believe in all those things. And yet we have this, right, that the Bible say. So, so we've emphasized women to the point in our culture where we say, hey, you know, you women come forward. It, men aren't everything, da 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 and young men aren't stepping up anymore. There's considerably lower degrees at higher levels of, uh, uh, for men these days because young men say, okay, I'll take a back seat then if that's what the culture wants. Well, we're missing something God placed in men because he's put a leadership in them, but it won't come out unless we call it forward. It won't come out unless a wife says, I believe in you, and I know you're not perfect, but I know you're going to get there, and I'm with you. I know you've made mistakes, but I know you're going to be a great leader, and I'm going to believe in you and walk with you, and and, and I'm going to be a blessing to you. In that atmosphere, you start to worry less about people thinking about your failures and more about how can I bless and become all I need to be for my wife and my family's sake. We follow God's truth and we're blessed. So, ladies, if you can overcome your fear of submitting, you'll give your husband his best chance to be the leader God is calling him to be. You say, he's not that leader now. Maybe because he can't have the reins. You have to give them to them if he's gonna lead. You most likely will be rewarded as he becomes more serious about his role and grows to be a better husband and father as a result of it. I didn't share it in the other services, but I'm gonna take a moment and talk about uh, John and Pam Priest. Many of you know them among us. John was a pastor for 15 years as an elder still at this church and is now a missionary to Cambodia as it, as it turns out with him and Pam going. Many years ago, um, 35 or so, John gave his heart to the Lord in this church when we were at the other site, Grace Community uh, on the Sagrat site. And Pam Priest was a very spiritual woman for a long time before John ever got saved. Now that's weird, right? You're a very spiritual lady who's dug hard for God. You've received riches in the word. You've got strength and maturity. And then your husband gets saved and God says, I want him to be the authority in your home. Wait, 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 wait. He's not as spiritual as I am. True. True for them. And Pam tells the story of when God told her, Pam, I want you to let John lead in your home. I want you to let him be the spiritual leader. And she talked to God, and I, I, I may not get it exactly right, but something like this. Wait a minute, he, he doesn't even know stuff. <laughs> he doesn't know what I know. 
But she had the sense that, that it was God and he was saying do it and she did it and here's what happened. Those of us who know John Priest and who knew him in those days, it's, you're hard pressed to find someone who grew as fast as that guy did from the moment he took hold. Do you know why he became the leader that he became? Because it started with his wife. Then he rises to be a pastor in just a few years among us. He got his training online and served among us. And then, not only was he an elder, but now he's going out to be a missionary. I'm telling you, Pam Priest released this guy to be the man of God he's been. And it didn't hurt how much of a woman of God she was. She stayed just as amazing as ever. But she called him forth. She helped him come forth. And there's that chance that your husband can be released to be all that God would let him be if, if you allow it. So let's talk about uh, the premise here. There's another word that the scriptures use that we don't talk much about in the church, but when it comes to marriage, the word honor is used quite a bit in the Bible. Honoring one another. And to honor uh, means to attach, attach a high value to them and to prefer them. This is what honor, prefer high value to your spouse. Now this is for both husband and wife. First Peter 3, 7 says, in the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives. High value, you prefer them. Ephesians 5, 33, and the wife must see to it that she deeply respects her husband, obeying, praising, and honor him, attaching a high value, preferring him above herself. And that's, it goes both ways here. This is what God wants. It's giving and not taking that God wants in marriage. I'm the giver. I don't need to receive to be better. I give and everything gets better because when two people start giving to one another the way God's planned, look out. That's where it all comes to fruition and it's amazing. Dr. Scott Stanley said, if marriage were a car, honor would be the gasoline. You can choose to look at his or her weaknesses you can choose to say they don't deserve honor because of what they've done. and I mean, there, there are certain scenarios that I don't, I don't want to make it sound like everything's okay. If there's abuse and illegal stuff happening, that we're not saying that's okay. But most of the stuff, let me just talk about most of the stuff. It's just about, uh, you know, the, the bickering, the arguing, and my will versus your will. And you can find reasons not to honor. Well, they're not worthy of honor. Well, honor's not earned, this kind of honor. It's a gift. And, and so you're saying, I choose to esteem you above myself, which is what God says we should do as believers. You're choosing to say, I, I, I place a high value on you. I saw a secular study that, to my amazement, showed that two people in marriage who had a higher, val- a higher esteem for their spouse than normal and, 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 and maybe even should be given, that those are the people who had the best marriages. They actually thought their spouses were better than they were, and it created an amazing marriage. That was a secular study. I thought it's interesting. It kind of proves uh, truth that's spoken here. Uh, you give honor because you choose to give it. Here's Gary Smalley, uh, a doctor and a counselor, who said in one of his books, I Promise it was called, he said, when I choose to look at the inner value of my wife, I'm simply looking at her as God looks at me. I'm so very glad he sees me as he does. I would cringe to think my creator sees only my weaknesses and judges me by my stumblings and bumblings. So let me stop for a moment. So you won't give it to your husband, but God gives it to you. 
You won't give it to your spouse, but God gives you the benefit of the doubt. He knows how bad you've been. Come on. And yet he really loves you and believes in you and calls you forward. And that's, that's what Gary's saying he's, God's asking for. Instead, God sees my potential, my innate worth, complete with all the God-likeness that he instilled into me originally. Honor is so simple, really. All we need to do is look at each other as God looks at us. When you develop that kind of honor for your mate, you help create a secure environment in which great relationships can flourish, Dr. Gary Smalley. Romans 12.10, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Now, I never feel bad about speaking in a situation uh, in a sanctuary about marriage uh, when there's so many singles present because most singles, there's some who have the gift of celibacy, but very few you say, how do I know if I have the gift? If you don't want to be married, you probably have the gift. If you do, you probably don't have the gift, all right? If you want to be married, but here's why I'm not afraid to talk about marriage even with singles because you're most likely headed there. I mean, people people lose their spouse uh, late in life and, and they'll get remarried, Right? Uh, after, after being married for 50 years, things, things like this, this happen. We need to be reminded of these principles. We need to prepare our hearts for this institution called marriage that God created. If we're single, we, we need to get this stuff. We need to work on it now to be that person what we can be when we, when, when we get there to the place that God's giving us. Third thought, uh, and this is one that I've talked about a lot in our church, maybe more than most pastors could be criticized, but you know, maybe this is why we're growing. Marriage is the place for sex. Um, this is, this, God created sex, it's not a bad thing. Outside of his plan, it's a bad thing. His plan is in a beautiful, mutually intimate relationship with your spouse of the opposite sex. That is God's plan. And it's a, it's a good thing there. Vain, the vain philosophy of the world says sex outside of marriage is, is good and exciting. It's so alarming to watch a younger generation treat sexuality uh, as if it's entertainment these days. It's something, something different happening I haven't seen before in our culture. And that's where they're treating it like we're just having fun. We're just, you know, just doing this stuff. And there's, you're making a big deal of it. It's not a big deal. Well, the truth of it is a big deal because it's made with the confines for an intimate relationship. As a matter of fact, that word in the Greek is a word that means to be glued together, that the two became one when it's talking about Adam and Eve. So there's a special bonding that takes place with sex and, 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 and when, when, when that bonding is, is ripped apart, so if you're going to do this over and over again and rip it apart, you lose your ability to stick, for one thing, when you're in so many relationships. Uh, the, the enemy messes up your life with that. And, and, but you also lose, when you go outside the confines of marriage, the beauty of what God intended, of that exclusive relationship that's intimate and amazing. The truth is, sex God's way is way better than the world's way. How's Hollywood doing with this, by the way? Their whole philosophy of sex. How's it going for them? Several marriages, drugs, overdoses, uh, trouble with the law. It's not working. Take notes. It doesn't work their way. You know, you can fight for it, but just take notes. But when you look at God's way, and you watch these people that are 85 years old, hand in hand, walking through life, loving one another, having coffee in the morning in their retirement, and they made it all the way through with amazing companionship, you gotta admit, that worked. It works. God's, God's not trying to tell us what to do just to prove that we'll follow him. He's showing us the best way. So I'm gonna read some things about sexuality for marriage and let you know that he wants this in marriage. God has called for this in marriage and it's normal in marriage, sexual intimacy. 
Song of Solomon 2.4. He escorts me to the banquet hall. It's obvious how much he loves me. This shows the beauty of, of this sexual love in the confines of a committed relationship. Verse five, strengthen me with raisin cakes. Refresh me with apples, for I am weak with love. His left arm is under my head. His right arm embraces me. Proverbs 5.18, let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. This is talking about sexuality here. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She's a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Huh, that's ongoing here. Okay, Song of Solomon 7.5, remind me of you and I'm spoiled for anyone else. Look at the exclusive feeling here. Your beauty within and without is absolute. Dear lover, close companion. You are tall and supple like the palm tree and your full breasts are like sweet clusters of dates. I say, I'm going to climb that palm tree. I'm going to caress its fruit. Oh yes, your breasts will be clusters of sweet fruit to me. Your breath clean and cool like fresh mint and your tongue and lips like the best wine. Huh, it's in the Bible. Who knew, you know, that that's in the Bible? Wow. Yes, and yours are too, she says. My love's kisses flow from his lips to mine. I am my lover's. I am all he wants and I'm all the world to him. You see something of beautiful intimacy that God intended here. Now I heard, again, this is a secular study, but I heard that a good sexual relationship in marriage is only 20% of a marriage, and I, and I believe that's probably about accurate. And yet, we're so messed up in this realm, and the enemy hits at this so much, I feel like I need to talk about it along the way. Husbands, some of your wives have had terrible things happen to them before they got to you. And so I want you to have a sensitive heart to the difficulty of someone who's who once wounded them so deeply sexually that they can't get there right now. And I would say to you, be tender and loving. There's, there's so, so many have been violated in this culture and, and win their hearts through tenderness. To the woman who's been abused, I, I, I would encourage you to do this. Would, would you fight for what God's called for in your marriage and for your husband? by getting to a good Christian counselor to deal with the hurt and the wounds that were inflicted upon you? Would you let that Christian counseling sink deep into your heart with the truth of God's word about what it really should have been and what it really is and what God has for you and the beauty of that intimacy? Because he, he definitely says this stuff. He says to have sex in your marriage on a regular basis. What is that? It's at least once a week. I made that up, but I, I, I think that's at least once a week, all right? Judge that, however you want to. First, <clears throat> first, first Corinthians 7, verse 3. Pretty direct stuff in the New Testament about this. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. Wait, wait, wait. The wife has sexual needs? The Christian wife has sexual needs? Absolutely. She may not even know it, but she does. Because when, when the beauty of this happens the way God wants, there's, there's longings fulfilled about feeling how precious you are to this person, mutually, exclusively, just the two of you in this relationship. And the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Wait, wait, wait. I don't want my husband to have needs because that's not spiritual. That's not true. Your husband has sexual needs and God put them there. 
God made man and woman in such a way that this is something that he created that's beautiful that he wants within the confines of a committed relationship and marriage between a man and a woman and it's healthy and it's good and there's needs there. So if there's needs that are not being fulfilled, that's a problem. It creates, it creates trouble and the Bible goes on to talk about it. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Now that's different than what our culture says. I certainly understand when it comes to violation and manipulation and pain and, and, and forceful things, sexuality, that great pain can be caused. But yet, uh, this is not that. That's, that's not what God's saying. That he, He's not calling for that. Yet he says here that, that, that um, your body's not your own. Another version says it that way. That you need to give yourself to your husband. You need to give yourself to your wife. And then verse five, do not deprive each other of sexual relationships. Hmm, you can deprive your husband, you can deprive your wife of something that God wants them to have. I'm not, I didn't write these words, I'm just preaching about them, right? Don't deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourself more completely to prayer. Afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you. Wait, wait. If you don't fulfill these needs, desires, these things that God put in your husband, you put them in a greater place of temptation. I, it's what it says right there. Vice versa, too. That you put your wife in a place of great temptation when you won't give her the beauty of intimacy that God has planned for marriage. Afterwards, you should come together so that Satan won't tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession not a command. Enough about sex. Let's go to number four now. Last point. Marriage, here's, here's the crux of it. Here's the 100%, not the 20%. This is it right here. This is what marriage is about. One sentence can put it all together for you. Marriage is about mutually fulfilling long-term companionship. That's what God had in mind between a man and a woman. Song of Solomon, look, they're, they're not just having sex, they're hanging out, they're doing life, they're being together. Come, my love, let us go to the fields and spend the night among the wildflowers. Let us get up early and go to the vineyards to see if the grapevines have budded, if the blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates have bloomed. There I will give you my love. They're walking together, they're looking at flowers. I promise you, I would not have looked at flowers if I hadn't married Karen. I didn't care about flowers. It's just a thing, it's, it's like that button on a wall back there. I mean, it, it, I, I, I didn't get the beauty of it, but just walking with Karen and have her saying, look at that, and I go, yeah, yeah, and she goes, no, look at it. I'm like, wow, wow, look at all the color in there. Do you see that's a bug in there? Yeah, I mean, just all this. <laughs> she helps me to enjoy life, to slow down and really see the beauty of God's creation. It's supposed to be a journey. Are, are you in this thing to bring fulfillment to your spouse and with companionship. What's in her heart that she has desires for? Come on guys, if we're leading, we help bring that forth, don't we? If she can write, let's, let's help her be the best writer for Jesus with all kinds of encouragement. Or whatever it is. What does he like to do? What if you did that with him every now and then? What do you like to do together? And I'm not talking about sex now, but what do you like to do beyond that? having a cup of coffee, hanging out. Don't get so busy in life that you miss that he wants you to have this 
long-term fulfillment and companionship, and it's being together. Don't work so hard that you're never together. Don't take a job. You say, well, my job. Don't have that job. Stop. Don't have a job that ruins your marriage. Don't do it that way. Be poor and be happy. I'm really saying that strongly, but, but really I think God would say it tenderly to say, I want you to be happy. I gave you this person for a reason. Love one another. Be together. When God created man and woman, he had this kind of fellowship that is unrivaled in mind. Two people walking through life together, enjoying one another, having more fun, feeling fulfillment. All life long, 1 Corinthians 7, 39, a wife is married to her husband as long as he lives. I told Karen if she ever decides to leave me to let me know because I'm going with her. I mean, there's, there's nothing... <laughs> There's nothing more important to me than this union. Beyond, beyond my relationship with Jesus, I can lose this church, but if I lose my, my wife, woe is me. That's my, that's my life companion. To experience this fellowship, you might call it the fellowship of the ring. You, you, have, to, you have to focus on having time together. Ecclesiastes 9.9, live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you. So, so Karen and I, I mean, believe me, I've, I, I can work an 80-hour week too with the best of you, but it's not very smart to do it. I've done it before, and, and it's not healthy. It's not healthy for me. It's not healthy for my family. Um, so, so we fight to have time together. I mean, I, I calendar for Karen. And because she's a priority to me. And, 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 and we, we just do life together. In the summer when the weather, spring starts getting good, we'll, we'll start on our walks again. And, and we'll just, we, we have this book, 50 Walks in Portland, and I think we've done 32 of them or something. They're two to six mile walks. And we go find a coffee shop and we just have fun. And people will see the pictures that Karen puts on Facebook and they'll say, hey, I saw you guys were on vacation. I hope you had fun. Well, we're like on vacation three times a week then. We're not on vacation, we're vacating. That's true. We're vacating for moments so we can have this companionship going on, this thing that God wanted us to have so we can laugh, so we can speak of life, so we can tell of our hurts and we can hold one another. All this is what God intended to help each other through life. Story is told, uh, well, I want to use this quote. I love what Ronald Reagan said in his letter that he wrote to Nancy that's been placed in a book, he said in one line, Nancy, when you leave the room, I miss you. <laughs> and there, there's something going on there that's right and that, that, uh, that, God, that God intended. And I thought that was, uh, that was sweet. So, so Dennis Rainey, let me close with this, um, is an author who wrote a book called Moments Together for Couples. And he, he gave this illustration. Years ago, our family went on vacation to Yosemite National Park, he says, and as we walked among the giant sequoias, we found one that was particularly enormous. A sign at its base read, the faithful couple. Maybe some of you have seen this tree. I looked it up online just to get a gander at it. But a park ranger explained to them that this was actually two trees that looked like one. Some 1,500 years ago, these trees sprouted as seedlings, he told them, about 15 feet apart, but after 800 years, their trunks grew close together, so close that at the base it looks like one. 
because they're fused together. But if you look up, and then they looked up, and sure enough, 50 feet above their heads, they could see two trees appearing out of this one base. And Dennis Rainey says, I thought, what a perfect symbol of a godly family. The members are fused together as one, yet each has his or her own individual identity. And as they grow upward in their relationship with God, they grow closer to each other and are able, like the mighty redwood, to withstand life's storms because they are one. A marriage made in heaven. That's, this, this is what God wants. A beautiful relationship that blesses your heart.